right. I, I, I finally figured something out. I, I figured out what makes a country song a hit. I, I finally figured that out. I, 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 and it's not, you know, the old joke, you just play a country song backwards and you get your dog back, you get your wife back, you get your four-wheel drive truck back. Um, I, I finally figured out what it is. It's this. It's basically one theme and it's the theme revenge. If you write a song about revenge, about somebody else, instant country hit. And there was, a, there was a really popular song out some years ago by Carrie Underwood. And the song title was Before He Cheats. And some of you may have remembered the song. I'll, I'll, I'll just uh, read some of the lyrics to you. Uh, it says this, I dug my keys into the side of his pretty little souped up four-wheel drive. Sounds like Wayne County, doesn't it? That's right here. I mean, this, this could happen right here easily. Um, uh, carved my name into his leather seats. Now, I probably wouldn't have done that because now he knows that you did it. So, but anyways, I took a Louisville slugger to both headlights. I slashed a hole in all four tires. Maybe next time he'll think before he cheats. Now, we all think, yeah, that guy got what was coming to him, right? It's this revenge song and probably the reason why it became so popular because it probably uh, resonated with so many people uh, thinking about someone who has done that to them. And they're like that. She did what I wanted to do, but I just didn't have the, the guts to do it. Um, the struggle of revenge is centuries old. Even Shakespeare said, if you prick us, do we not bleed? If you tickle us, do we not laugh? If you poison us, do we not die? And if you wrong us, shall we not revenge? So, listen, Shakespeare clearly thought that when revenge happens, it's just the natural thing for us to get back at someone. And, and we want to hurt that person, don't we? we? We want them to feel the pain that we feel uh, that they put on us. And sometimes inside of us, there's just something that, that has to be made right. There's something that, that this wrong has to be made right. Now, now, getting justice and doing something that is revengeful is two different things. And that's really what I want to talk about today, because I'm not talking about justice. I mean, there are definitely times for justice. There's things that are wrong in our world, and we need to stand up and, and, and make sure that those things are addressed. But hatred... And unforgiveness, we all know, ultimately hurts us. It's, it's like the old saying that a person who desires revenge should dig two graves. One for himself, one for the other person, right? In the long runs, revenge and hatred always end up getting us. And it can get ugly, can get very ugly. We, we want to get back. I want to get back at my ex. I want them to pay. Um, and when the hatred gets a hold of me, uh, our hearts can do all sorts of unthinkable things. We use the kids as pawns. We use social media now. Uh, we can even hide our hatred and revenge behind prayer requests. Christians, right? We, we, that's a good way. Like, let me just tell you what this person did, but let's pray for them, shall we? Let's just <laughs> pray for them because they need the Lord, right? So, so how do we deal with these feelings the right way and and in the right way. So let's just write a country song and be done with it. So let's pray. Father God, thank you for this day. No. 
How do we do it the right way? Well, this summer, we have been discussing the life of David, and we've been discussing this theme of how David was known as a man that chased after God's heart. He was a man after God's own heart, and he was described as this, even with all the mistakes that he made in his life. He made so many different mistakes in his life, but yet... Paul, the Apostle Paul, looking back, right as it's written for us in the book of Acts, looking back over David's life, he says, this was a man who was a man after God's own heart. We know he did a lot of great things. We know he defeated Goliath, who mocked God. Uh, we, we understand that he wrote many of the Psalms, great work there in, in, in the book of Psalms. And, uh, but he also made a lot of mistakes, and, and he broke many of the commandments. And the reason why David was known for a man that chased after God's own heart really boils down to pretty much two reasons. And we talked about this. David understood forgiveness and he knew what it meant to repent before God. Those are two things. He, he, he knew the forgiveness that God would offer him. So he was willing to forgive. And he understood that when he grieved the heart of God or when he was approached with his wayward, waywardness, there's not, there's not a time in the Bible that we don't see that David didn't step up and recognize his transgressions, recognize his sin, and, and wanted to make those right before God. Now, did, did David have a lot of regrets in his life? I'm sure he did. did. Did he have to live with those regrets as he was living on earth? Sure he, sure he did. But the thing about David is he understood about forgiveness and he understood about repentance. Let me just say this. If you can understand those two principles in your lives, it will save you from so much heartache. There are so many people, let me be honest with you, there's so many people I talk to that just hold on to bitterness in their hearts. I was just talking to somebody the other day, somebody I met for the first time. We just got in a really great conversation. He goes, you're a pastor, right? And he goes, do you know something about God? And I go, well, I hope I do. <laughs> I know a little bit. Uh, he goes, well, let me ask you some questions. He asked me some really great, great, great difficult questions. And as we got into it, he just said, I just want to let you know, this, he was holding on to this, bitterness and unforgiveness for like 20 years for this one person and just angry and upset. It's, you can tell it's been, I, I go, does it, is that bothering you? He goes, no, no, no. I go, when does it bother you? He goes, it only bothers me when I see the person. I'm like, oh, okay. That, that makes sense. Um, but you could just see this. This was bothering. Is this person later on in their lives struggling with a health issue with themselves, not knowing how much longer they're going to live. I've been holding on to this grudge for 20 years. And I asked him this question. I said, do you believe that Jesus has forgiven you of all your sins? Oh yeah. Yeah, I do. I believe that. He goes, I, I try to be a good person. I said, that's not what I asked you. I said, do you believe that Jesus has forgiven you of all the grievous things that you've done? Cause I'll tell you what, I'm not a good person. I've done so many things, but yet Jesus forgives us by his grace. And he began to think about it for a moment. I said, I said, by you holding that unforgiveness towards that person, does that do anything for that other person? He goes, hmm, you got a point there. See, I say this all the time. Unforgiveness and bitterness is the poison we drink waiting for the other person to die. It just poisons us. There is this story that we see in David's life that is absolutely incredible on how David deals with revenge. In fact, David has every right 
to deal in a way that could bring revenge on this other person. And actually, other people would look at it and say, you know what, you have every right to do that. And David could have justified his actions by taking revenge on this person. And that's what I want to do. I want to jump into the season of David's life. So as we've been going through uh, David's life, we're in the season of David's life where um, he is pursued by King Saul. Saul is the king. David has been anointed by the prophet Samuel to be the next king. Now, um, Saul is, is, is getting very jealous of, of David. There's songs that are being sung about David killing his 10,000 and Saul only his thousands. And so jealousy is beginning to grip Saul's heart over young David and knowing that David is going to be the next king. And so God anoints him. And then David is, is going to be this next king. And, and I want to jump into this passage um, talking about this in 1 Samuel 23, verses 15 through 18. Let, let me, let me uh, paint the picture for you of what's going on here. And, and David is basically is going to get to the point of his life where he's running from Saul because Saul is going, wanting to kill him because of the evil spirit within him and the jealousy that has overtaken his heart and his life. So here's what the scriptures say. It says, one day near Horesh, David received news that Saul was on the way to Ziph to search for him and do what? Kill him. Isn't that fun? That'd be a fun life. Yes, the king's after me and he wants to kill me. Now, Jonathan, who is the son of Saul, uh, is, is close with David. They have this wonderful, close friendship and relationship. And David, uh, Jonathan went to find David to encourage him and, and to stay strong in his faith in God. That's what a good friend does, isn't it? Here it is. It's his father. I know my dad wants to kill you, uh, David, but just be, remain strong in God. Let me encourage you. Right? That's, what, a, what an amazing friend. Don't be afraid, Jonathan reassured him. My father will never find you. You are going to be the king of Israel, and I will be next to you. As my father Saul is well aware, so two of them renewed their solemn pact before the Lord. Then Jonathan returned home while David stayed at Horish. Now, David is being consistently and constantly being pursued by Paul. In fact, at one point, um, Saul's men are so close to David that, that, they, that it looks like they have them trapped. And it looks like David and his men have no way out, and Saul's going to pursue and kill David. Then, then all of a sudden, at this point, there was news that was brought to King Saul at this point saying, listen, the Philistines are raiding the land and you need to go and take care of that. So immediately Saul stopped pursuing David and left. So, so David's off the hook at, at this point of, 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 of being trapped by Saul and his men. And from this point, David and his men, they go to En Gedi and Saul got word that David was there. And thus Saul resumed once again his pursuit of David. So what Saul does is he picks 3,000 men to go with him to pursue David. Do you think, you think Saul's got a vendetta? Do you, do you think he wants him? He, he is jealous. He, he wants David out of the picture. And so Saul's men outnumbered, outnumbered David's men five to one. Five to one. And so what happens here is David is hiding from Saul in the desert of En Gedi, actually in a cave, and is there where David sees Saul's army passing by. 
Now, this is where the story gets really, really interesting because what Saul does is as the army's passing by, Saul by himself goes into the cave where David and his men are and they're in the back of the cave. Saul goes in there to use the bathroom. So here's Saul by himself in the cave going to the bathroom. Well, David and his men are in the back of the cave. So here is David's chance to get revenge, to take revenge on King Saul. Here's his chance. It's right before him. And I want to read this whole scenario for you in 1 Samuel uh, chapter 24. So I want to read that for you. You can, if you want to follow along with your Bibles, you can do that. Let me just say this, the Bibles uh, in in the seats there, those are free. If you don't have a Bible, please, that's our gift to you. Please take those and use them. You can follow them up up on the screens. But let's see how David spares Saul's life here. So starting in verse 1, we'll just read through verse 7. It says, after Saul returned from pursuing the Philistines, he, he told David, uh, he, he, he told David is in, in the desert of Engedi. So Saul took 3,000 chosen men from all of Israel and set out to look for David, uh, men near the crags of the wild goats. And so he came to the sheep's pen along the way. A cave was there and Saul went in there to relieve himself. David and his men were in the back of the cave. And then the men said, listen what the men say. The men of David said, This is the day the Lord spoke of when he said to you, I will give your enemy into your hands for you, for you to deal with as you wish. The men are throwing scripture supposedly at David to say, this is your chance. Go ahead. God's ordained this. Go and kill Saul. Then David crept up unnoticed and cut off a corner of Saul's robe. Afterward, David was conscience-stricken for having cut off the corner of his robe. And he said to his men, The Lord forbid that I should do such a thing to my master, the Lord's anointed, or lift my hand against him, for he is the anointed of the Lord. Hmm. This is really interesting because at first glance, you would think, well, why didn't David pursue this opportunity to actually kill the person that desires to kill him. And the men on top of it are saying, listen, David, it's okay. This is the day that the Lord was talking about when he said, this is the day that the Lord spoke of when he said to you, I will give your enemies into your hands and and you can deal with them as you wish. But we find that saying nowhere in scripture. See, what's happening here is they must be either misinterpreting what they thought was true Or twisting something to fit the occasion. Now, let's be careful here. Because we can tend sometimes to use the word of God and twist the word of God to justify something that we want to do. And and, and so there's many things that we think are in the word of God that aren't in the word of God. Like like cleanliness is next to godliness. That's not in the the Bible, okay? Um, or, Or God helps them who helps themselves. Okay, not in not in the Bible or or now some of you know that and you're like, Pastor, Pastor, I, I, I know that. But this one, a lot of people believe is in the word of God is is God can't give you something you can't handle. It's not there. Now, we take that from first Corinthians ten thirteen, But in that verse, God is talking about temptation. And so it's easy for us to twist something to use in our situation. In fact, sometimes 
God does give us things that we can't handle to show us that he indeed is strong and powerful and desires to work through us. So, so they must be either misinterpreting what they thought or twisting, the, twisting something to fit the occasion. And the men are thinking, this must be a divine moment, so take your opportunity. And so they were seeing this moment as a God moment without truly understanding the whole picture. I remember years ago when I lived in South Carolina, I remember talking to somebody, and, and somebody grossly um, undercharged them for something. And they didn't make it right. And this is what they told Kathleen. They said, well, that was just a blessing of the Lord. I'm like, what? How do you think? What? They undercharged you. That's not a blessing of the Lord. You need to go back and, and make that thing right. It's just easy for us sometimes to justify our actions, to twist it, to think that God's blessing is upon it when it isn't. And so this is where David had to stop. Matthew Henry in his, commenta- in his commentary makes this great point. He, he says this, it was an opportunity given to David to exercise his faith and patience. He had a promise of the kingdom, but no command to slay the king. He reasoned strongly both with himself and with his men against doing so any hurt. You see, David ultimately wanted to honor God here. Even though he knew he was the next anointed king, he didn't want to shortcut God in what God was doing even though David was in a very difficult situation. So David's decision not to do this, he knew would come with much suffering. So let me just give you this bullet point right off the bat here. Sometimes doing the right thing is going to mean trials. It just is. Sometimes doing the right thing is going to mean trials. Ultimately, this was a test for David. You see, what what was in David's heart because at that point, he, you, you, you're thinking, man, he's constantly being pursued for his life. You would just think, I am, so, I am so sick of this. I just want to end this now. I don't want to endure this thing. This guy is wrong. He's evil. He's, he's pursuing me for all the wrong reasons. He has no reason to pursue me. I did nothing wrong. And so why does he have this vendetta against me when I did nothing wrong? And so ultimately, this was a test for David. See, see revenge And the feelings of hatred will always test us. And so what does David do? Instead of revenge, he cuts the corner of his royal robe. Now, what was the purpose of doing that? There can be a couple of things because David David felt a lot of guilt for doing this. So why? he, He didn't kill him, which he could have. And so when God rejects Saul, when God rejects Saul, He tears the robe of the prophet Samuel. And when he tears it, Samuel tells Saul, his kingdom will be torn too and taken from him and given to another. Hmm. This puts a little meat to this understanding of why uh, David cut the corners of, of Saul's robe. Now, I want you to understand something. Robes as a king is a royal type robe. Remember we talked about this last week when, when Jonathan, the son of Saul should have been the right heir. He was the eldest son. He should have been the next heir of Israel. But what did he do? At one point he laid down his robe before David and his sword and his tunic. And he said, listen, you're the king. It was, it was a political move saying, I'm not the next in line for the kingship. God has anointed you to do that. 
And the prophet Samuel, in a symbolic gesture, having the robe torn, showed Saul that God is going to tear the kingdom away from you. So this gives a little bit more meaning here because what we can see here is David cutting off the corner of his robe is symbolic of cutting off his kingdom. And so in David's guilt, he knows he cannot grab or tear the kingdom away from Saul like this. That's not the way to do it. And so he rebukes his men and, and, and Saul leaves the cave not knowing anything, but David is left holding the corner of his robe. And so what David does is, is David goes, he goes after Saul and he confronts him and he bows down before him and he tells him that I could have killed you. Look at your robe. A piece is missing, showing that David is innocent and wanting to do the right thing. So here's the question we need to ask ourselves in our lives. How do we, how do we handle the test of revenge and the feeling of, of hatred even when someone is against us and we know that we have not done anything wrong? How do we handle that? How do we handle the test of revenge and hatred when someone does do us wrong? How do we handle that? Well, I believe there's a couple things that we can pull out of this passage of David reacting because of David reacting to Saul. Because listen, every single one of us either have been mistreated, wrongly accused. Uh, people have said things about us that weren't necessarily the full picture, right? The full story. We've all been through that. And maybe we've hurt someone else, or maybe we've been privy to gossip, or maybe because of our heart, uh, because of the hurt in our heart, um, we, we've told other people what's going on in our heart. We really haven't found forgiveness within that before the Lord. So how do we correctly handle the test of revenge and the feeling of, of, of hatred? Well, in essence, what we see here is two contrasting lives, one living to please God and one living to please self. One is living in this embodiment of hatred, and, and, and everything that encompasses Saul's life is about revenge to kill David. And then you have David who's fleeing, who's innocent, who, who is displaying the character of God and how he deals with the situation to, try, to honor God within his life. So let me give you a couple of things. First of all, the, the, the thing we need to understand is what David did was he left it in the Lord's hands. He, he, didn't, he, didn't, he, he didn't outrun God in this. He could have taken... This situation in his own hands. Eventually, Saul will die by his, his own demise. But he didn't shortcut what God needed to do. Because God wanted to do something greater in David's heart through this whole thing. Are you, are you, are you, are you, are you catching me now? You, you see where this is going? See, this is difficult for one reason. Because we have to wait on God. And, and David couldn't fast forward God's plans. Listen to David's words as he holds the corner of the robe in his hand and as he talks with Saul. And it's recorded for us here in, in chapter 24, 1 Samuel 12 and 13. He said this, May the Lord judge between you and me, and may the Lord avenge the wrongs that you have done to me, but my hand will not touch you. And as the old saying goes, from evildoers come evil deeds, so my hand will not touch you. So who is the guilty person here? 
Saul is the one allowing evil to grip his very heart. We see this so well paralleled in the New Testament in Romans 12. And this is the way Paul, how he tells us on how we are to deal with revenge. In verses 18 through 21, Paul says, If it is possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine and I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. For by doing so, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not overcome evil, but overcome evil with good. Now, now it's very interesting how this conversation ends with David and Saul as they're talking after this incident in the cave in En Gedi. Uh, in, in verse 20 and 22 in Samuel 24, it says this. Here's Saul speaking. He says, I know that you will surely be king and that the kingdom of Israel will be established in your hands. Saul, Saul gets it. Saul understands what God's plan is there. He understands that God's hand is on David to be the next king. He, 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 he gets that. He, he understands this. And this is what he says to him. Because think about it. For a king, if he's got a competing family against him, he wants that family wiped out so that there's no resurgence to overcome the throne. So many kings would take revenge on a competing family and so that there wouldn't be a revenge to the throne or an uprising. So this is what, this is what Saul says. He says, now swear to me by the Lord that you will not kill off my descendants or wipe out my name from my father's family. And so David gave an oath to Saul. And then Saul returned home. But David and his men went up into the stronghold because that wouldn't be the last of Saul. And that wouldn't be the last of his pursuits of him. See, Saul knows it's over. He knew God's will, yet Saul doesn't give up. Hatred and revenge had so gripped his heart that he will still try and kill David. So, so David could have hit the fast forward button and avoided all this long suffering, but he doesn't because he wants to honor God and what God's plans are. So, so what's the difference David doesn't let revenge and hatred grip his heart. He doesn't jump ahead of God. What's the difference here? The difference here is forgiveness breaks the chain of hatred and revenge that it has in my life. That, there's the difference between David and the way he reacted in the situation and Saul. That's the reason why David could humble himself and honor the position of Saul because there's forgiveness in his heart. There's not this vendetta. There's not this revenge. Forgiveness is what breaks the chain of hatred and revenge that it has in my heart. Saul couldn't let it go. And that's what ultimately led to his demise. And we know David didn't hold on to bitterness because he kept his promise to Saul, even though Saul still tried to kill him. He kept his promise not to kill his family. Okay, now some of you are thinking, okay, pastor, I, I, I get it, but I, I have, you don't, you don't understand my situation. My, my situation is different. Oh, really? You see, that's the problem. When we begin to look at our situations and we begin to look at maybe something that was done against us, we always think that my situation is different. 
Here's, what, here's where I want you to look at, at this thing. If, if, if that does, ne- it never, listen, forgiveness never excuses what the person has done. It doesn't excuse it. It doesn't whitewash it. It doesn't make it less than it is. It doesn't mean that your hurt and your pain is, is that much less. But what forgiveness does, it sets you free. It sets you from the prison that you're living in. That this person actually, your unforgiveness, actually this person has that control over your life and it actually puts you in a prison that you can't get out of. That's how powerful forgiveness is. See, that's at the crux of the gospel message. Jesus came for sinners. That while we were still sinners, this is how God demonstrates his love for us, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Which means this, Jesus didn't come for good people. He came for sick people. He came for broken people. He came for sinful people. That's who he came for. Doctors, listen, listen, Jesus, I didn't come for the well. People that are well don't need a physician. People that understand that they're sick, go see a physician. And recognizing that we've fallen short of God's perfection is love. It humbles me to say, I need a savior. I need somebody to heal me. I can't overcome this bitterness on my own. I need something greater to hold on to. That's the gospel message. Understanding that Jesus has forgiven us. That now flows through our life. So I'm able to forgive others. Listen, they have to stand before God. They have to stand before God. And so, but I have to give an account for my life. And that's why David honored God, because he knew that he would have to give an account for his life and the way he acted in the situation with Saul. So Saul couldn't let it go. And so some of you, what you're doing is you're waiting for the other person to come to you. And guess what? It's not happening. Either the other person is totally forgot or doesn't know what's going on. But you're waiting for the other person to come to you. And you resolved in your heart until they make the first move. I will do nothing. Now, let me be honest with you this morning. Some of you are living in that prison of hatred. And you might be fooling yourself to think, well, yeah, I've forgiven that person. But every time that name is brought up, anytime you see that person, all that stuff gets dragged up again. And the problem with unforgiveness is ultimately it's going to cause us to sin. So here's, how do I deal with that, Pastor? How, how do I give that to God? I, I'm sure there were times, I mean, you can, you can read through the Psalms and see David's raw emotions before God and how he dealt with it. And and let me just be honest with you. Sometimes I think we look at the word of God and we think it's lollipops and candy canes and potpourri. If you read through the word of God, there's a lot of spots in the word of God that are just raw emotions laid out. And that's what I love about the word of God that doesn't whitewash our feelings and what we're going through. And David in the Psalms describes a lot of his feelings that he's going through because of the enemy that is around him. And so what are we to do when we feel wronged and we have this bitterness and we've got this hurt in our life? And I just, Pastor, I'm just having trouble getting over this because that other person is living their life and I checked it out on Facebook and they're just having a great old time and they don't know how I feel and I just want them to hurt, right? Have I get close anywhere here? Okay, (laughs) Everybody everybody got real quiet. 
That, that's what happens. And it's just, it's eating you inside. This is what I want you to do. And this is what David did. Express your raw pain and hurt to God through worship. This sounds crazy, but this is what David did. See, has there ever been a time in your life when you just got real with God? I'm mad. God, would you just send your wrath now? Smite that person in the name of Jesus. Hallelujah, right? River, God. I, I have to admit, I mean, let me, if we're all going to be honest, let's, can, we just, can we just talk this morning, just you and I? I have to be honest. When, when I'm driving down the road, I'm not the most patient person in the car. My wife said amen. Um, God's dealing with me on my patience in the car. But I got to admit, there are times when I'm driving down 104 something, and there's a car that speeds by me at 90 miles an hour. I'm just like, Lord, let there be a trooper right there. Just let him be there. And I, it happened one time, and I slowed down. I just went, nah, nah, nah. No, I didn't. I didn't. I didn't. Wanted to, but I, I didn't. Um, that's our hearts. So he, here's the thing when you express raw pain and hurt um, through worship. I believe we can share our raw feelings with God. Do you think he's surprised by it? I don't think so. He knows how you're feeling and how you need to get out. And there's so many psalms that David wrote in worship. These are actual songs of worship of his raw emotions. Listen to, listen to this one, one. This is actually a psalm of David written to music, and it's a song. And I don't think you'll hear this coming out from Chris Tomlin anytime soon, or Matt Redman, or on a v, VBS CD anytime soon. So let, let's... Let's, let's read what this says. These are not kumbaya, kumbaya songs, okay? Listen to David's raw feelings. Psalms 58, 6, and 7. Here's what he says. To music, by the way. Break the teeth in their mouths, O God. Break their teeth in their mouth, O God. <laughs> Lord, tear, tear out their fangs of those lions. Hallelujah. Praise Jesus. Thank you, God. Let them vanish like water that flows away. And when they draw the bow, let their arrows fall short. That's a worship song, by the way. Katie, will you learn that so we can sing it next week? Just, that really wants me to lift my hands, doesn't it? It's amazing. So here, here, here's, these are songs that are either read or part of worship. Now, we don't, we, we think that, but God, do you really want me to get that out? Because if I say something, I'm just afraid I'm going to get struck by lightning, right? Is that, is that okay to, see, by giving our raw feelings to God, we give it to him. We give it to him. And we can do that in the safe boundaries of worship. But if we don't, it will manifest itself while you're driving on 104. Right? Amen. Or someone cuts you off in traffic or at work or at home at dinner. I want you to understand that, that Jesus does understand your emotions. And that you're safe to give your emotions to him with your feelings. Because you're giving it to God. What, what that does is it opens up your heart to receive the grace of God in your own heart. By giving your raw emotions to God in worship, what it does is it opens up your heart to say, God, I, I can't do it. I'm a, this is the way I feel. 
I'm angry, I'm hurt, but I'm giving this thing to you because I don't want to hold on to this thing because I know it will cause me to sin. So I'm going to give it to you, and that's the safest place to do it. Here's the reason why. Hebrews, the Hebrew writer says this. He says, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weakness, but we have one in every respect who has been tempted as we are yet without sin. So let us then with confidence draw near the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace and help in our time of need. So the takeaway is this. Give your hatred to Christ and let him bring you the healing that you need in your life today. And, and listen, if, 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 if you get ticked off real quickly or, or things set you off really quickly, I, I would do some heart evaluation in your life because it may be, it's not that everybody else is wrong. It may be there's something going on in your own heart that is left undone. It could be five years ago or like this one gentleman I talked with 20 years ago. And what it does is when those things are undone, it gets a hold of your life and it comes out in many different other areas. And so if you're easily angered, if you're easily offended, if, if you just, you know, just your patience, you're just like, man, I'm just grumpy. I'm just... Things are just bothering me so much. It might be that there's some unforgiveness in your heart that you need to give to God. Listen, the steps of unforgiveness are not easy because we have to humble ourselves. But it may be writing a letter to somebody. It may be approaching a brother or sister in the Lord. It may be approaching a neighbor or coworker or somebody and just saying, you know what, I, I, need, I need to forgive you. And that person may not reciprocate, whatever, but you need to do that for, the, for your walk with Christ. You need to do that. And here's, here's where we balance this whole thing. Without being gospel-centered in this whole thing, it, it just doesn't matter. Without coming to the cross of Jesus Christ, it doesn't make sense. See, what makes sense to me is when I can go to the Lord and say, you understand Jesus, because you were rejected. You hung on that cross all alone. You were treated unfairly. But yet out of your mouth did not come hatred and condemnation. You could have sent your angels down from heaven and just, just poof, did away with everybody. But you didn't. You didn't. And when you hung on the cross, you said, Father God, forgive them for they know not what they do. See, if I don't come back to the cross, then none of this makes sense. Because guess what? You may be able to forgive somebody else, but you know what? There's going to be another person in line waiting to offend you. There just is. Another person that's going to cut you off. Another person that's going to just tick you off. There's going to be the next. It's going to be there. It just, I'm just warning you. It's, it's there. But if my heart is not settled in Christ... I'm going to have a very difficult time understanding true forgiveness because Jesus, the Son of God, was the only one who truly showed us true forgiveness. He was perfect in every way. But yet, we didn't merit his love. We didn't earn it. It's only through God's grace that we can find forgiveness in our lives. So I would tell you today, if you're just battling with that in your life, I would tell you, you come to Jesus you bow before him and say, I've got this hurt and this pain. Let, let me just tell you, Jesus can, can 
can take your words. You'd be completely honest before him and let Jesus do the healing because he understands. He wants to forgive you. And the beautiful thing through repentance is that we find God's healing and restoration. So you come before him. Jesus, I understand what you did for me, that you died for my sins. I am no better than anyone else. But you forgave me. And I need your forgiveness. And I need your healing in my life because I don't want to live this way any longer. Let Jesus do the ultimate healing. He's the only one that can. So would you pray with me as we just close in song today? Here's what we're going to do as we just close today. I'm going to, for any of you who just want to, um, as we sing this song in closing today, if you want to come up front and just kneel at the front here today and whether you want to sit at your chair, whether you want to stand, however you want to express your worship to God, let's thank Jesus for what he did for us. Let's come to him today and allow God to take our hearts, our, our pain, our bitterness, and give them to him and allow his forgiveness to flow in your life. Father God, we just come before you today. Jesus, I can't forgive people in my own strength. I need your help to do that. So help us to come to the cross and see the cross as a place of healing and forgiveness that we didn't deserve or earn. But freely by your grace, you've forgiven us. So we come to you and we ask for your forgiveness. We ask that you would take the pain of our heart, whatever that might be, God, whatever that person has done to us, however wrong it is, Lord, we need to offer forgiveness because we don't want to live in a prison any longer. You break those chains when we come to you and ask forgiveness. So I pray, God, that the chains of our past would be broken, God. The chain that that person has over my life would be broken. The chain of that abuser would be broken in my heart and my life, God. And it can only come through forgiveness. God, you deal with it the way you need to deal with it, but I need to be released from this, God. So do your work in every heart here today, Jesus. Thank you for your grace today and the healing that comes through you, Jesus. We just express this to you now. And we're so grateful for what you've done for us. In Jesus' precious name.